0: Uh, it is good to be together, it's good to worship, uh, we're good. it's good to be back here in, in sort of our normal space last week where you were in Thomas Building, and uh, it's good to be back in sort of our normal rhythm, and uh, I'm excited to open up God's Word here with you this morning. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we'll be here this morning. We're continuing our series uh, through the, the, the book of Ephesians called Rooted and Grounded. Rooted and Grounded. And church family, I hope as we've been going through this series, my prayer is that this series has been helpful to you in some way. My prayer is that the series has imparted some some hope and, and and some foundation for how to live a more rooted and grounded kind of life. And uh, my, my prayer is that the words of scripture would bear fruit in our lives. And I pray that the same would happen today as we look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at the second half of Ephesians. Last week we looked at the first half, and uh, friends, I'm trusting that the Lord has a special word for us here this morning. I pray that you receive that uh, here with an open heart. And so look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up from verse 17 and carry through to the end here of the chapter. And uh, I'd like to spend a little bit of time unpacking God's word here. So Ephesians 4, verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes these words. Now this I say and testify the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, just pause right there. Now, you know, Paul seems to be kind of, you know, throwing some shade on Gentiles, right? Like, I I thought this whole, up until this point, the the whole point was that God was grafting Gentiles into the family of God, like that Jews and Gentiles were becoming one, and we are growing to become one family. So why why does Paul seem to kind of dog on the Gentiles here? And that's not exactly what he's doing. He's talking about Gentiles in the way of of thinking about uh, the people who are far from God, people who have not been yet grafted into the family of God, people who are walking in their flesh and walking in sort of worldly desires and, and, and not in the ordinances of God. And so that's the kind of people that he's talking about when he says, stop walking in the ways of the Gentiles, right, as if you don't know Christ. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He goes on, and in verse 18, he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus." to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and in true righteousness and holiness. He goes on in verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Pray that God would illuminate his words here before our eyes this morning. Friends, I'd like you to repeat these words after me if you would. Repeat these words with me this morning. Say, from old. One more time. From old to new. From old to new. That's right, from old to new. There are times in my life, and I'm sure you encounter these moments too, when I find myself due for a much-needed upgrade, all right? Whether it's upgrading my phone, you know, like, uh, you know, the the, the new latest phone comes out, and there's a little... pulsing uh, in my heart that skips a beat i'm like i need that i need that i i I don't really but i do you know it's like i i I need this upgrade or or maybe it's um you know i need to upgrade my laptop yeah i don't know if you've ever found yourself plugging away on your laptop, and you're like, man, this thing ain't running like day one. You know, it's like it's lagging behind, it's slow, and you say, man, it is time. It's time to put this thing to the grave and resurrect it, you know, just start start fresh and new, upgrade a laptop. Um, My family and I, right now, we're in the hunt for a new car. And uh, I got to tell you, right now is not the time to buy a new car. I, I don't know if any of you are in the market to buy, you know. But it is—it is not a friendly time to buy a new car. Everything is marked up quite considerably. But the truth is, we're driving around. My my car is kind of a beater. It's got uh, you know high mileage, and it's starting to fall apart. I brought it to the shop the other day. I, there's a, a a fix that's going to cost me anywhere from you know fifteen hundred to two grand. I'm like, guy, I don't even—I don't even know if this car's worth that much. And so I took it back. I said, yeah, I'm going to hold off on that. We're in the market for an, upgraded, uh, an upgrade for our car. Now, one of the things, uh, if you found yourself in this place where you are due for an upgrade, whether it's a phone, a laptop, a, an electronic device, a car, whatever it, it might be, one of the things that we are quick to do is we look up the specs of the new thing that we're upgrading to. Right? We look up the details around the upgrade. We check out, we pull up the, the chart or the info sheet or, or the specs page and we closely examine the details. I can't tell you how many t- tabs I have opened up on Google Chrome of all these used cars and like, you know, all the details and the specs of this one has this many miles and this one costs this much and this one has these features and all these. And we pull up the, the specs chart, right? The, the details sheet of the thing that we're upgrading to. Now, if I may, if I may, I want to give you just a quick example here. Let me just show you Let me show you what I'm talking about. I think this can work. I tried it before. There we go. There we go. Okay. All right. So, let's say let's say we are in the market for a new iPhone, right? Uh, iPhone 13 Pro just came out. Not too long ago, and it is oh so pro. I mean, look at that thing; it's so sexy, so shiny. I mean, like this, and Apple just—man—they've got a way of doing it. I'm not even sure what this is, but I'm—I I, I like it. I like it, you know. Uh, and and so. It, Apple has a way of letting you know what you're getting when you upgrade to the new iPhone 13. So You get a dramatically more powerful camera system, a display so responsive, every interaction feels new again, right? It's the world's fastest smartphone chip. Uh, It it has exceptional durability. It's a huge leap in battery life, right? And you can watch the film, watch the event. The iPhone 13 comes in two sizes, 6.7, 6.1, and it comes in Super Retina XDR display. It comes in all these different colors and so forth and so on. Surgical grade stainless steel. I don't know why you need surgical grade, but you do. You do. The iPhone 13 has surgical grade ceramic shield. It's tougher than any smartphone glass out there. It's got an IP68 water resistance rating and all these things, right? Like, and it goes on. I mean, look at this list. It just goes on and on and on of all the things that this new iPhone can do. And I mean, we're not even a quarter way through this page and it's Whoa. I mean that's what it is. It's whoa. You know, like it is amazing. It's amazing, right? Now you you could you could scroll through that and then pick up all the other features. Let me show you another example here. Okay, so like I said, we're in the market for a new car. By the way, I don't suggest you buy a new car. We always buy used. The mar the, the, the value of the car drops considerably as soon as you buy a new car and drive it off the lot. But either way, let's just say, you know what? I wanna check out the new uh, 2021 Honda Accord, right? Something reliable, something good. Check this out, it's newly redesigned, okay? So, you know, it's starting MSRP, it's 24, just uh, just under 25, it's got 30, 38 uh, miles uh, per gallon rating for city and highway, uh, and then you you go on and you can, you can Click through and look through the gallery. You can view the exterior, view the interior, check it out. If you're, you know, you, you, you're, if you want to go the hybrid route, you can learn more about that. It comes in all these different colors. Da da da. Uh, you can look through the hybrid options. It's, it's got this power flow monitor on the screen. You could check out the performance and the powertrain on this thing. You can check out the interior and the exterior. Look at that. You know, just uh, the styling of it. You can look at the cabin. You can look at the different amenities that it has to offer. Wireless charger. Some of us would do well having that in our car. We're running on empty at all times. Uh, you can look at the, the technological features. It's got Apple CarPlay and Android connectivity and all these things. And you could just kind of scroll through again, through and through, and look up all. And then you could just the trims and specs chart is right there. And so if you want to go the LX model, sports model, EXL touring, etc., 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 you can see it all right there. Now. Here, let me uh, switch back here. Let's see, there you go. Now, just so you know, I'm not trying to promote Apple products or Honda products. I'm just, I, I use this as an example to say, when you go from something old to something new, you usually do a little bit of study. You usually lay out all the specs and examine the details that surround the upgrade to the thing that you're upgrading to. And in a lot of ways, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in today's passage. Today's passage is essentially the specification chart for the life of a believer. It's the spec sheet, it's the detail sheet of the life of a believer. He's showing us what our lives will look like when we go from old to new. When we go from before Christ to after Christ. When we go from not knowing Jesus to now following Jesus with our whole lives, as we just sang about, we give our whole lives to you, our hearts belong to you. What happens when you go from old to new? Paul here in Ephesians 4 paints a picture for us of what it looks like to go from old to new. In verses 17 through 24, the first half of today's passage, Paul breaks down for us what our old selves look like. Now, when I say old selves, I'm not talking about age or or chronology or I'm talking about the nature, the substance of who you are. Well, I'm, I'm talking about a life without God. That's what we talk about when we say old selves, and that's what t- Scripture often talks about. Uh, uses these terms of old and new to describe the life of a Christian, the life of a believer. Some of us have heard the term a born again Christian, right? Kind of a weird concept, maybe a, a terminology that's not widely used today. But but perhaps you've heard that term. Are you a born again Christian? That actually comes from Christ's words in John chapter three, when Jesus says, "You must be born of the Spirit." And You must be born again, and what Jesus is talking about is a a new life that is born, a new life that is awakened by the Holy Spirit of God. And it's when someone begins their spiritual journey with Christ, we will call that person a born-again Christian. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And very explicitly, he says, the old is gone. Do away with the old, for the new has come. The old is gone, and the new has come. Jesus, again, in the Gospels, he says, you don't put old wine in new wineskin. You, 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 he talks about old and new as compared to old wine and new wine and old wineskin and new wineskin and in similar in similar form, in today 's passage, Paul uses the term "Put off your old self and put on the new self and we 'll get to come back to that in just a moment. but again, this old and new reference is basically talking about a person who doesn 't know Jesus as compared to someone who does it 's talking about a person who is actively walking with Christ and someone who is not and in the first half of today 's passage. Paul shows us what our lives would look like if we were not born again, if we were not awakened by the Holy Spirit of God. It shows us what our lives would look like if we did not have God in our lives. And you want to know what that spec sheet looks like? Let me pull it up for you here. Put put it up here on the screen. Here it is. Here's the old self-specification list. It's marked by futile thinking. In other words, your thoughts are meaningless, They're pointless. They're purposeless. Your mind is filled with emptiness apart from Jesus. It's marked by futile thinking. It's marked by darkened understanding. This Greek word that's used here for darkened is the word skotoo. Well, I don't expect you to know what that means, but it literally means to cover or to blind or to obscure. It means to to quite literally darken. And so what Paul is saying here is, apart from Jesus, it is impossible for you and I to perceive any kind of spiritual truths or any kind of spiritual realities. Your understanding is quite literally darkened. It's obscured or blinded. Not only that, but you are separated from God. In other words, the only source of hope in your life the only source of joy in your life, the only source of true meaning and purpose in your life, you're cut off from that source. You are separated from the life. You are alienated from the life of God. Similar to darkened understanding, spiritual ignorance becomes a key marker for our old selves. Paul goes on and he says, all of this is due to their hardness of heart coupled with calloused spirits. Hardness of heart's and callous spirits. And of all the things on this list, I think these two are the scariest ones for me. Because most non-Christians, hear me, most non-Christians, most non-church-going people, most people who are not plugged into any sort of religion or faith background, they can generally recognize that they are separated from God. Heck, they might even be okay with that. That might not bother them right? Most non-Christians are okay with a certain level of spiritual ignorance. Why? Because they don't care to think about spiritual matters. Some of them don't even believe that there is some such things to be thinking about, spiritual matters and spiritual realities. They're not attuned to matters of faith. Why would they after all, right? That's not a priority for them. But the thing with some of these other characteristics is, these are areas that you can move out of and grow in if you so choose. Even the most staunch atheists can say, I recognize that you think I'm separated from God. Well, God, I've got news for you. I don't even believe there is a God. I don't even think that there are such things that to, to be thinking about like spiritual matters and all these things. Even for that person, it is possible for them to cross over to the line of faith and to move out and grow in some of these areas. If you're alienated from God, it is possible to become a child of God. If you're spiritually ignorant, you can inform yourself and learn spiritual truths to become more spiritually informed. You can find hope even for the most futile way of thinking. But for the person with a hardened heart and a calloused spirit, I'm afraid there's not a whole lot of hope for that person. I don't mean to sound overly pessimistic or overly cynical, but I wonder if you've ever come across a person with a hardened heart or a calloused spirit. You know people like that in your life where they're just, man, you just get around them. First of all, they're not a ton of fun to be around. Can we just be honest about that, really? There's not a ton of fun to be around. But second of all, it seems impossible to get through to them in any meaningful way. Like it doesn't, I'm not, it could be faith related or whatever, anything related. If you encounter someone with a hardened heart, or a calloused spirit, no matter how much you try to get through to them, it seems impossible to get through to them in any meaningful way. I mean, they just sort of have their mind made up. There's no budging them. They got their arms crossed and folded. There's no moving them in any particular direction. They have set their own destiny of sorts, and that's it. And the scariest part in all of this is that you can be a Christian, a Christ follower, a professing follower of Jesus, and find yourself with a hardened heart and a calloused spirit. You see, this is not just for the most staunch atheists who have hardened hearts or callous spirits. Christians can very well end up with hardened hearts and callous spirits. But the real danger here is Christians, and for those of us who are professing Christians here in this room, Christians don't always know when they are sliding into a state of a hardened heart or a calloused spirit. And I'm speaking from experience. There have been seasons in my life where I look back at the, at the most immediate past of my life and I realize just how hard my heart has gotten, how calloused my spirit has grown you see, the challenging thing with this for us as followers of Jesus who call ourselves Christians is that it's not always easy to perceive when your heart is hardening and when your spirit is growing calloused. It's like C.S. Lewis said, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without any signpost. And I think the same can be said of the hardening of our hearts. Our hearts don't harden overnight in an instant. It doesn't work that way. But rather, over time, as we continue to ignore the Spirit's promptings, as we continue to give in to our flesh, as we continue to submit ourselves to the ways of this world, and we continue to compromise on our moral integrity, we start the slow and gradual descent into the hardening of our hearts and the callousing of our spirits, and we don't even realize it's happening. You see why these two are the scariest ones for me? Because I can end up right back into my pre-redeemed self, pre-Jesus self, my old self, with a hardened heart and a callous spirit with very little hope, and I don't even realize I'm there. That ought to cause some alarm bells to go off in our spirits, to say, oh God, may I never find myself in that place. We're gonna to come to the counterpart, the remedy for that in just a little bit here. But well, Paul goes on and he finishes off the list and he says, your old self is marked by an uncontrollable, sensual type of living. Greed to impure practices, corrupt with deceitful desires. Apart from Christ, friends, that's what we're left with. Our old selves is pretty raggedy and run down. It's not terribly hopeful or optimistic. We're left with a pretty bleak picture. if, if if you know what I mean, but now then, Paul then shows us what the upgrade looks like. He, he pulls up the website and he's like, "Oh, so new! Like, check this out. Check, check out the newly redesigned you. Right? Like, this is this is your old self." this is your life apart from jesus but now that jesus has died on the cross been buried and he's been raised to life again and he has given you the gift of his holy spirit inside of you you are the dwelling place for the living god you are now a new creation Pauline shows us what this upgrade looks like. He shows us what our new lives look like in Christ Jesus. He says this, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, your life should look like this. You ready for this? Here's our new self, specs chart. It's a speaker of truth. It's a speaker of truth. Now, I wish I could spend a whole message on just that. Speaker of truths. By the way, this is not your truth that you're speaking You know, sometimes I think we like to go up to people and we like to say, brother, i got to confront you about something. I want to speak some truth, some hard truth in love. And you start going into it. It's like, brother, that's not truth. That's your opinion.
1: You know, that's not, that's
0: not like you're, you're, you know, so, so please understand this is not speaking my truth. This is not speaking your truth. Okay, like that whole concept just—it irks me on so many different levels. I like—I'm gonna get off my soapbox just for a minute. Yeah, I won't go go into all of that. But but here, when Paul is saying, "Speak the truth to one another," he's not saying, "Speak your version of the truth." Who is truth? It's Jesus. Truth is not this sort of subjective thing that we feel on our good days and, 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 and things that we don't feel on our bad days. Truth is Jesus. And so when we speak, we speak Jesus into people's lives. We speak the heart of Christ. We speak the mind of Christ. That is what it means to speak truth to one another. And why would we do that? It's because we are members of one another. In a, in, a, in a world where we are so highly individualistic, friends, this is something we got to learn to grasp as the family of God, as the people of God. We are actually members of one another. We are actually deeply connected and tethered to each other to the point that we would go out of our way to look after one another. That's what, that's what members of a family do. We go out of our way to look after each other. But not only that, we are quick to forgive and this is not, it's not always true of us, is it? We are quick to react. We're quick to respond. We're quick to tweet. But we're not always quick to forgive. Not always quick to forgive. We're alert to the enemy. Paul says, give no opportunity to the devil. You know what that means? You know what Paul is saying when, you, when he says, hey, give no opportunity to the devil. You know what that means? He says, he's, he's saying, you acknowledge that there is an enemy first of all, an enemy of your soul that would seek to tear you down and to tear your new self down, he's saying stay on guard against that enemy. Stay on guard against the enemy of your soul. And in this case, Paul says, don't let the enemy use your anger to sin against another brother. Be alert to the enemy's schemes. Your new self is to be marked by integrity and generosity. Paul says, stop stealing, people. Come on. Self-sealing and make an honest living so that, what? You can give to anyone in need so that you can live a generous life. You can live a life marked by generosity. For after all, we are members of one another. So we live with integrity and generosity within the family of God. He says, avoid corruptive speech. Instead, use life-giving words. Use the kind of words that impart life to your brothers and sisters around you, to the people around you, to this campus that we are a part of. Use life-giving words. Don't live in a way that's grievous to the Holy Spirit. Abandon worldly habits. Be kind and tender-hearted. And not only are we quick to forgive, but we exercise Christ-status, Christ-like forgiveness, which is huge, by the way. This means that there is no offense, no offense too big that we cannot forgive. For Christ forgave us of all, not just some, not just the ones that he was bothered by, but he forgave us of all sins, big and small, minor and major, insignificant and seemingly significant. He forgave us of all sins. And so when, when Paul says, forgive one another as Christ God forgave you, he's saying, hey, the example that Christ said is to now be your model. It's to be your model of how you go about relating to one another and dealing with one another's faults and shortcomings and fallouts. You are to forgive one another as Christ God in Christ, God in Christ Jesus forgave you. That is Christ's status forgiveness. We like to forgive on a human status forgiveness level, right? Like human level forgiveness. I'll forgive you to the, to the point that I feel like I'll forgive you. Now listen, there's a lot more that could be said about this. There, there are some offenses, some, some, some sins that have been uh, done to us that are so grievous that we need to, we need to process that one a little bit more. We, we, need to, we need to receive the healing touch of God in our lives to, 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 to know how to best move forward. So I'm not saying be, be just casual about it, be flippant about it, and just go ahead and stop it, forgive. Just stop it, forgive. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. That's not the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ would not say, as I forgave you, come on now, you got to forgive them. No, no, there are some things in our lives that, yes, Jesus needs to meet us there. But when he does... He brings us to a place where he teaches us how to forgive one another like Christ forgave us. That's Christ status, Christ level forgiveness. This now, this is the upgraded version of yourself. This is the life that Christ wants to develop in you and in me. Now, if we had the time, I would unpack each of these in greater detail, but we don't have that kind of time. But for now, let me me address this one last piece. And we'll wrap up here. In between all of this, he talks about the old self and he talks about the new self, right? In between all of this, Paul mentions something very important here in this passage. I mentioned it earlier. But he mentions that you and I have a part to play in all of this. He's not just describing our old selves as compared to our new selves as just sort of a, a cognitive intellectual exercise, He's not just describing our old selves as compared to our new selves just for the heck of it. There is actually something that you and I are meant to do in moving from our old selves into our new selves. He says in verse 22, put off your old self, and then later in verse 24, he says, put on the new self. Put off your old self and put on the new self. Now, friends, these are not things that are done to us or for us. These are commands. These are imperatives from Scripture. These are things that you and I are called to actively do. And you want to know why Paul tells us to do these things? He tells us to do this because he knows that on this side of heaven, And for as long as we live here on earth in our human fallen flesh, we will always be caught in the tension of our old selves and our new selves. We will always be caught in the middle of our old selves that we once lived in and our new selves that Christ is wanting to develop in us. In other words... While we are made into new creation, yes, and while our eyes have been opened as Ephesians 1 talked about, yes, and while we have obtained all the glorious blessings of God as we've talked about in weeks past, these are all things that we've mentioned. There is still something, and I wonder how many of you can testify to this in your own life, there is still something in you, there is still something in me that wants to go back to our old selves, that wants to go back to our old way of living. And maybe you might not even consciously think about it that way, but you find yourself kind of gravitating and moving towards the old version of yourself that Christ put to death. We move back to our old nature. Well, Paul here in this passage, what he's doing is he's showing us a new and better way to live. He's showing us the kind of The kind of life that Christ is developing in you and in me. And he's saying this, he's saying basically when he says put off the old self, put on the new self. He's saying when you see this new and better version of yourself, why in the world would you ever want to go back to the way it was? When you know that you can get a free upgrade, when you know that you can upgrade to the newest and latest iPhone, why would you settle for that old broken phone in your hand with uh, your screen is cracked, your buttons don't even work? I mean, like, you have a hard time even getting a phone call out. Like, why would you settle for that? when you can upgrade to the newest iPhone? Why would you keep driving around that beater junker of a car when you can upgrade to the newly redesigned Honda Accord? Why in the world would you settle for that when you can have that? Which, by the way, in this upgrade, I want you to know, friends, there is no cost on your behalf. There's no upgrade charge. There's no upgrade fee. You're not going to find an AT&T representative coming to you and say, okay, now here are all the things that you owe for this upgrade. In this upgrade, Jesus took care of all of the expense and all the costs that comes with this upgrade. And he says, you get this upgrade for free. All you need to do is step into this thing with an open hand and an open heart and say, oh God, would you begin to change my life from the inside out? So that my old self no longer becomes the thing that I keep pulling towards, but rather I see this. And, and Paul is saying, "Listen, listen. Here's your old self. And if we had the, if, if we had a slide, I, I'd show you just, just the the comparison between the old self and the new self. And it's, I, I, I just imagine Paul coming to us and being like, 'You get to get, you get to get all of it, the new self, right? Like the, this new way of being. Which, by the way.'" is multi-leveled uh, all kinds of good for you and for everyone else. This is not just a way of morally living well or anything like that. You benefit from this, the world benefits from this, and Christ benefits from this, from this upgrade. And so, and so he, Paul is saying, why would you settle for all of the old self and keep falling back into that? No, he says, put it off. Do away with that. That is not the way you learned Christ. Rather, put on the new self. Walk towards the person that God has called you to be. But friends, let me make this one last point here. We don't arrive at our new self by our own and our own might and strength. This isn't Paul's way of saying, well, well, here's, here's all that Christ did. Now here's, here's what you do, Okay. Right, like here's what Christ did, and and now here's where like where Christ fell short, you gotta pick up some slack now. now. Like that's not what he's saying. He's not saying now put off your old self and put on your new self. We don't arrive to our new self by our own strength and by our own efforts. When Paul says, put off your old self and put on your new self, he's not saying that we do this on our own. This conversion process from old to new is not human run. We arrive at our new selves by continually surrendering our old selves to Jesus. I find myself having to do this all the time. In those moments when I find myself gravitating back towards my old self, I got to come back to this place of surrender and say, Jesus, I surrender my old self to you. I surrender my old habits. I surrender my worldly, fleshly passions and desires over to you. I surrender my old self to you. So that you can then transform me into the new version of who I was meant to be all along. You see, we surrender our old selves to Jesus so that Jesus can then transform you from the inside out to shape you and form you into the very person that God has called you to be in the very first place. This is what is called sanctification. And we daily, sanctification means we daily yield ourselves to Jesus, we daily surrender ourselves to Jesus. And Jesus, in turn, changes us from the inside out. You see, that's the walk with Christ. The walk with Christ isn't, I got to make this new self happen. And I got I to gotta put off my old self, put on my new self. This is all up to me. No, 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 no. It's up to Jesus. All you got to do is come like this. Jesus, I surrender. I surrender my old self. I'm done. I'm done trying to strive towards this. I'm try- I need you to change me because I ain't got it in myself to change me. I can't, even get, I can't even change my own clothes in the morning, let alone change what's wrong and broken inside of me. I need you. I need you. That's how you move from old to new. All Paul is doing here is showing you what your old self and new self looks like and in the middle he says, put off, put on, put off, put on. What does that look like? Practically speaking, everyday speaking, that means you and I come before the cross of Jesus and say, God, I surrender. Every day I've got to learn to surrender my old self. Until I meet you face to face in glory, i got to be in this place of a surrendering my old self to you so that you, Jesus, in turn can transform me into the new version of myself that you have always intended for me to live. Put off your old self, put on the new self. That's the process of sanctification from old to new, from old to new. Friends, I wonder if if someone were to draw up a spec sheet of your life. I wonder if someone were to draw up a specs chart of your life. I wonder what would be on that list. I wonder what would go on that list if someone were to draw up a specs list for your life. I wonder if it would look more like the first half of today's passage or the second half. I wonder if it would look more like your old self or I wonder if it would look more like the new self. If you're here today and you feel like your life will look more like the first half of this passage than the second half, the first list than the second list, that's okay. That's okay. I've got news for you. Jesus is more than capable of moving you from old to new. (laughs) Jesus is more than capable of taking what is broken in your life and decrepit and falling apart in your life Jesus is more than capable of restoring all of that and changing that and upgrading all of that into the new version of yourself that God has for you. Jesus is more than capable of doing that. All you need to do is ask him to make you into a new creation, ask him to fill you with the power of his Holy Spirit and to make his home in your life and help, ask him for his help to cross over from old to new. That's all we need to do. In fact, I'd love to pray for us in that in that way, to that end. And so, church family, if you just bow with me just for a moment, and worship team, you guys can come on up and get ready to close us with the final song.